What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unscripted and Unapologetic on this Tuesday, um, February 22nd, 2022. I'm going to be really uh, honest with you for all two or three people that listen right now. Um, please like, share, subscribe, and consider donating uh, if you like the material. Um, and as my dad always said, I shared in a recent post that, again, tens of people may have read, but we're getting there, we're growing. Uh, my dad always said not to, not to phone shit and not to half-ass anything. Um, so I try not to do that, but I work overnights and um, I do the best I can, but I'm about you know, 40 years old, not what it was when I was 25. 25 I could work all night still write quality stuff and then like be all energetic about this and require like 15 minutes of sleep before I'm up ready to be energetic doing all the things that 20 year olds uh do but um that's not the case at 40 it takes its toll on you so today in today's episode the official schedule is you know a bunch of news and views a buffet of shit really um but i think we already know a lot about a lot about that right um you've got the situation in ukraine you've got the ongoing nonsense with uh the pandemic and news that is really not so much news the big news is where all of this is headed where are we going and if you are just understandably chugging along in your day-to-day -day life, um, you're going to think that, and again, understandably so, you're going to be under the impression that these are standalone events, right? So, you know, the pandemic is a standalone event. We have a cyber, series of cyber attacks all of a sudden, which will be coming down the pike. They've said so openly. Bill Gates has said, prepare for a cyber pandemic. The, the uh, World Economic Forum, just like the Mac Daddy of evil organization has said the same. Um, you may, you know, the news will present that to you as a standalone event that we need to deal with. They're not standalone events. They are in fact um, all connected. Um, that doesn't mean that they always play out the way that the establishment wants them to, but what's that old saying? I heard it on a TV show, probably I think The Wire. No spin on a knuckleball, but you still can't tell which way it's gonna break. I don't know, I probably got that all wrong. The reality is, is that I say it time and again, yes, they're powerful, they wield immense power. They're social engineers, they're steering us in a certain direction. It's very, very frightening and they are um, driven by negative force whether you want to you're religious and you call that satan or you're not religious it's a predator energy that is you know the yin and the yang you know i always think about that the the divine the divinity the good the white versus the black the darkness the the um the predator energy really that's really driving this um so it's not they're not standalone events. Um, they are pushing us in a certain direction, but they're not 
supernatural. I mean, maybe they are, and I'm, I'm completely wrong. You really never know. At this point, I, uh, I wonder if it's just a fucking empty box somewhere just cranking out orders. It's like this, you know, holy... But there's a great story called Buttons, Buttons, about just that, about an empty box that that is predatory and, like, lures people into indulgence, and it's bad. Sometimes I, I'm, like, throw my hands up when you really start to go down rabbit holes, and you're like, you know... Like Catherine Austin Fitz says, one of the biggest question that she has is who and what really is the governing the, the governing force of of all the of the world? Because your heads of state and all that um, they have minimal power at best. Uh, it's it's mostly at this juncture we've reached um, complete ceremony. It's ceremonial completely. It doesn't mean at the community level. We still have a shot. She talks about if you, any of you that are listening are biblical, like you, you religious, you you read the Bible. Um, Gideon in the book of Judges. Pardon me. She references that. And the the lesson there, there's there's so much to be taken from Gideon in the book of Judges, but the 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 crux of it is that. Um, It's going to be a count, a local, you know, you're going to fight small battles to do the right thing. It's going to be a county by county event. Um, so 3,000 plus counties here in the United States, that's how we're going to do it. Because you're going to pull the plug on social media and all this at some point. So what are we going to do then? What are we building? What, can, what are we trying to cultivate while we still have these tools, whether it's for the next 10 minutes, the next two weeks, or the next year? Um, we're going to need to really start to consider that. Um, so, because the, the the big the big picture again, they're not supernatural, but they do, um, and they they're not also the big names that you see, the power movement, the power brokers, the movers and shakers, the Bill Gates, the Michael Bloomberg's, um, Judith Rodens, the you know all these very powerful, influential, uh, Klaus Schwab, even influential people. There, you know, George Soros. Uh, there's people behind them that are really driving the agenda and we don't know who they are um they may show their face all the time i i've theorized um one time that in fact these individuals routinely are visible to us routinely but they come up as like low-level cabinet members like you know or um you know they're they're just they're there in the background and you would never know that they are the power okay bill gates is powerful but his power is derivative he only gets it from whatever the driving forces the malevolent driving forces behind all of this all right and they cooperate and therefore they're they're going to get rewarded or they you know they'll they'll be rewarded and then there's the the citizens who cooperate who you know, I think they think uh, if I'm well behaved, I'll, you know, if I just do what I'm told, I keep my nose to the grindstone and I just, I just work, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do. I get the 26 vaccinations. I, I you know, get on the train. I do, I, you know, I mean, the, the reality is, is that, um, you know, that you can, those individuals 
although there are some very civil people out there, and I don't say this with any degree of like pleasure, although my heart doesn't ache for this small, small group of people as much as it used to, um, the small group of people who truly support this wickedness. And um, they're not going to be, I think it's clear that they're, they think that they're going to get bonus points or something. They're hedging their bet, you know, like, oh, well, I'm going with the, I'm going with the sure thing rather, um, you know, I will do what I'm told and therefore I'll get to be a part of this new society. Now they are going to beat on you like a used mule. I don't even know what that means, but that's how it's going to be. It's going to be in all seriousness. I said it in a post I made recently, and I mean this. The establishment is like gangsters. Not like they are, except for they have stuff at their disposal that no cartel could ever imagine. Um, they're like bullies, if you want to look at it at a microcosm. They disdain and I believe have a visceral hatred, a visceral hatred for all those who are lining up all the time for tests, for all those who got the jab, for all those who triple mask and wear a face shield after they got the jab. You know why they disdain you and hate you with a fury that is beyond all description in any language? And I mean, I'm so sure of this, it's not even funny. They hate you so furiously because you're pathetic. They think you're a joke, you people. And they know that they can steamroll you and abuse you and you're not gonna do a goddamn thing about it. Now, they have much more respect and uh, admiration for the will and determination of the resistors, believe me, even as they crush, isolate, and segregate us. They have way more respect for that. But let's talk about, real quick, I guess we can talk about Russia. I actually really don't, don't really want to because that's a distraction. Um, the, the, the big deal is, is that that's a distraction. Let's talk, let's talk great reset here. So share screen. Um, there's an article that I wanted to look at that I used when writing my blog post. Um, and it discusses public-private partnerships, but also, if I can find it, still have it. Um, well, I may have X'd it out. It's a great article on on the um, Great Reset. It's a different look at it. And I will find it here. Um, and it's, it's really worth reading. And this one is too. And the links will be in there. How the United Nations is quietly being turned into a public-private partnership. Um, I think that um, open democracy. Uh, I, what I what I wanted to do, and uh, and I did do a little bit in the post, is um, talk about the dangers of public-private partnerships. It sounds really good, right? But but is it? Um, and the answer, as far as I'm concerned, is an emphatic no. They're not good. All right. So here's the article. 
Okay, right. conspiracy theories aside, there is something fishy about the Great Reset. And this is written by um, Ivan Wecky. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, so again, title, this is on opendemocracy.com, uh, .net. Title is conspiracy theories aside, there is something fishy about the Great Reset. It's a corporate takeover of global governance that affects our food, our data, and our vaccines. And I, you know, honestly, he he stopped short. Um, and I'm going to reach out to him and see if in a long shot he'll he'll be a guest. Um, he's a great writer, and I'm going to read this. Um, but it doesn't just control that. If you looked at my post recently, a couple of days ago, I included screenshots of Klaus Schwab's book um, on COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And they talk about it from the macro level and the micro level, and then they break it down into subsections. And essentially, it's every aspect of your life. It's not just, it's not just um, our food, our data, and our vaccines. It's everything. So here we go. The Great Reset conspiracy theories don't seem to want to die. The theories were triggered by the World Economic Forum's summit last year, which had the theme, The Great Reset, and argued that the COVID crisis was an opportunity to address the burning issues facing the world. According to the BBC, the term Great Reset has received more than 8 million interactions on Facebook and has been shared almost 2 million times on Twitter since the WEF initiative was launched. The set of conspiracy theories around the Great Reset are nebulous and hard to pin down, but piecing them together gives us something like this. The Great Reset is the global elite's plan to uh, instate a communist world order by abolishing private property while using COVID-19 to solve overpopulation and enslaving what remains of humanity with vaccines. Me. Um, I'm not sure how he he could. One of the questions I would ask him is, um, well, clear, clearly it's well written, but he didn't do his research here because that's you know all you have to do is take a look at the fucking table of contents in Klaus Schwab's book to know that that's no, that's um, that's ludicrous. He he didn't just miss the mark; he missed it all right there. That's absolutely absurd. It's about remaking society um, and digitalizing everything uh, in, in our world, basically even the natural world, all right? So what we will interact with will be, everything will be digital. Intrigued by the Palaver around last year's summit, I decided to find out what the WEF's Great Reset Plan was really all about. At the heart of the conspiracy theories, at the heart of conspiracy theories are supposed to be secret agendas and malicious intent. While these may be absent from the WEF's Great Reset Initiative, what I found was something almost as sinister hiding in plain sight. In fact, more sinister because it's real and it's happening now, and it involves things as fundamental as our food, our data, and our vaccines. And he's right. It does involve things as fundamental as, as, those, as those things. Um, Bill Gates bought up, I forget how many acres in the United States, but he is now, I believe, the largest 
landowner of farm like farm landowner in the United States I could be wrong about that but you know what he, what he's cultivating there are genetically engineered crops um, they are phasing out everything if you've ever seen this movie Soylent Green well that's where we're headed and this is another thing I talk about and we will dig into in subsequent episodes of the show um, but he goes on to say the magic words are stakeholder capitalism. I want people to focus on that stakeholder capitalism because it sounds great. It is absolutely nefarious and monstrous in every way. Um, he goes on, stakeholder capitalism, a concept that WEF chairman Klaus Schwab has been hammering for decades and which occupies pride of place in WEF's Great Reset Plan from June 2020. The idea is that global capitalism should be transformed so that corporations no longer focus solely on serving shareholders, but become custodians of society by creating value for customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and other stakeholders. The way the WEF sees it, sees stakeholder capitalism being carried out is through a range of multi-stakeholder partnerships, bringing together the private sector governments, and civil society across all areas of global governance. So keep in mind, he's talking about global governance there. And then there's so many other questions to be asked about who's going to be involved in that. Um, for whatever flaws you have now, you know, if you have a buck, you can become a shareholder in, in a startup company. This is going to be something completely different. Um, and who gets to participate? What if you um, are, you know, uh, against certain things in the new new structure? Will you lose your privilege to participate? Anyway, um, he goes on to say the idea of stakeholder capitalism and multi-stakeholder partnerships might sound warm and fuzzy until we dig deeper and realize that this actually means giving corporations more power over society and democratic institutions less. Boom. On this, he nailed it. That's exactly correct. And it's hard to wrap your mind around, but in the ensuing episodes, we will really take that apart. But he's going to talk a little bit about it. The plan from which the Great Reset originated was called the Global Redesign Initiative drafted by the World Economic Forum after the 2008 economic crisis, the initiative contains a 600-page report on transforming global governance and the World Economic Forum's vision, quote, the governance, government voice would be one among many without always being the final arbiter. Governments would be just one stakeholder in a multi-stakeholder model of global governance. Harris Gleckman, senior fellow at the University of Massachusetts, describes the report as, quote, the most comprehensive proposal for redesigning global governance since the formation of the United Nations during World War II. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know, um, after World War II, the United States, and they, they go into the, the, you know, getting rid of the United States as, um, you know, uh, the main reserve currency, which 
I don't think people realize uh, what that would mean, farming, for our standard of living. Now, I, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'll be redundant about a lot of things because I think it's necessary. Um, I live in a tiny house with no amenities. So as far as my standard of living, you know, I'm used to electro electricity and internet, but um, other than that, I don't have anything. Um, so I don't have that far to fall, but, you know, for people like my sister, my parents, and so many people that I know, um, they're just going to be blown away by the changes taking place from them ushering us into uh, smart cities. You're not going to have a choice. My sister lives in Cheshire, Connecticut. She's not going to have the choice to live in Cheshire, Connecticut if they have their way by 2030. Um, that will be a, a non-starter, whether they offer inducements, of which they'll probably do it first. And for those who don't end up going willingly, they will be forced. They've been very clear, very clear about where human settlements will be. And they will only be in the cities. They will not be in rural America. So that's 60 to 70 million people. They got to find out where to put those people or conversely, what to do with them. Who are these other non-governmental stakeholders, he goes on. The World Economic Forum, best known for its annual meeting of high net worth individuals in Davos, Switzerland, describes itself as an international organization for public-private cooperation. Uh, that should scare the shit out of people. Public-private corporation, the merger of uh, private entities and public is pretty much the definition of fascism. Um, it sounds good, like, oh, you know, um, my, my nonprofit is uh, a private organization and it's working with, um, you know, the state to get more money or whatever. That sounds good. It's, it's not for a lot of different reasons um, that we can get into another time. But it is the, those mergers um, are literally the definition of, of fascism, you know, um, Kodak back in the day, Kodak films merging during big protests, I think in 2008 to 2010. Um, I think in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, Kodak was teaming up with local police and the government to use blimps or uh, early drones to spy uh, on protest activity. It's an example of that there. That's a very mild example. Um, but what about you know your assets in the bank when they when there's partnerships? There all all kinds of problems arise from this. You know, I, IBM. I, I just made a blog post about it. You can you can check that out. But I, I list some potential problems about public partner private shit, uh, public private partnerships. Without those, we wouldn't need to be as concerned uh, as we should be right now about where we're headed, okay? Um, and also, these are high net worth individuals. So they're loaded. They're talking about equi equality and equity, but they're not gonna give up their wealth. And also these people are making decisions, forcing our lawmakers and, le and the legislatures to make decisions and nobody fucking elected them. Think about that. 
and they're not just little decisions they are decisions that affect you right down to like you know the most intimate details of your life ultimately WEF partners include some of the biggest companies in oil, Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi uh, Aramco, uh, can't even talk, uh, Shell, Chevron, B BP, so Beyond Petroleum, and um, food, uh, Unilever, the Coca-Cola company, Nestle, Technology, Facebook, which is now Meta, uh, this should freak people out, Google, so Alphabet probably, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, and the Mac Daddy of them all, pharmaceuticals like AstraZeneca, forget about them, but Pfizer and Moderna. Pfizer and Moderna. So the World Economic Forum during this pandemic, this pandemic that they're saying is an opportunity for all this great change, um, has longstanding ties with very powerful organizations, okay? And so in turn, then they form their relationship through coercion or through you know, compensation, bribery, however they do it with public entities like our so-called government of the people. So he goes on to say, instead of corporations serving many stakeholders and the multi-stakeholder model of global governance, again, keep, keep coming back to that word global governance, Corporations are promoted um, to being official stakeholders in the global decision making and global decision making, while governments are relegated to being one of many stakeholders. Okay, so look at that again. Corporations are promoted to being official stakeholders in global decision making. So I interpret that to mean like the top dogs. So they come first, and then governments at the federal level come secondary, and you know state governments and local governments come in tertiary or further down the list at best. All right. So in practice, corporations become the main stakeholders, while governments take a back uh, a backseat role, and civil society is mainly just window dressing. Exactly. Now the multi-stakeholder ecosystem, perhaps the most symbolic example of this shift in the controversial strategic partnership agreement, which I include, uh, I want people, I think people should read. So I'll make sure to open a tab and include a link. The United Nations signed with the WEF in 2019. Um, so again, they're saying that's, that's most symbolic of this shift. So I've read through it don't have time to read into it now, but um, I encourage people to read it. Harris Gleckman describes this as a move to turn the UN into a public-private partnership, creating a special place for corporations inside the UN that is extremely dangerous, as if the UN wasn't dangerous enough to the sovereignty of nations. Um, that is wildly, wildly dangerous. I'll include the link in the notes. The multi-stakeholder model is already being built. Um, I would say it's already been built. Uh, there's just some final touches to be made. In recent years, an ever-expanding ecosystem of multi-stakeholder groups has spread across all sectors of the global governance system. I'm going to keep touching on this, that they use the word global governance system. Think about that. 
I'll leave it there. There are now more than 45 global multi-stakeholder groups that set standards and establish guidelines and rules in a range of areas. According to Gleckman, these groups, which lack any democratic accountability, okay? So again, appointed, not elected, they're accountable to no one. So they lack any democratic accountability and consist of private stakeholders, AKA big corporations who quote, recruit their friends in government, civil society and universities to join them in solving public concerns, close quote. That doesn't sound good for the rest of us, does it? It does not. All right, multi-stakeholderism uh, multi is the WEF's update on multilateralism, which is the current system through which countries work together to achieve common goals. The multilateral system's core institution is the UN, which I'm against anyway, um, but that's a different story. The multilateral system is often rightly accused of being ineffective, too bureaucratic and skewed towards the more, most powerful nations. This is true. Uh, it also imposes dramatically on the sovereignty of nations, ours included, but others even more. But, at, um, but it is at least theoretically democratic because it brings together democratically elected leaders of countries to make decisions in the global arena. I agree with this. Um, and not only in theory, but at times in practice as well. Um, not often, but at times. And so instead of reforming the multilateral system to deepen democracy, the World Economics vision of multi-stakeholder governance entails further removing democracy by sidelining governments and putting unelected stakeholders, okay, mainly corporations in place when it comes to global decision-making. So what does this mean? This means that the, gov that, that the governing apparatus is going to be a corporate entity. I will go even further to say that it's gonna be a corporate entities or a few major ones that are going to be run by humans and they're going to be operating as digital autonomous organizations. So artificial intelligence, e-government. So you, it won't be democratic in any sense of the word. It will be a dictatorship par excellence, um, authoritarianism in a way that we've never ever experienced and don't have the mental framework to even conceptualize of it. Um, but we will, and very soon, very, very soon. All right. Um, so put bluntly, multi-stakeholder partnerships are public-private partnerships on the global stage, and they have real-world implications for the way our food systems are organized, how big tech is governed, and how our vaccines and medicines are distributed. Again, I think he's, you know, he can't write on forever, so I know he's trying to focus on a few things. But he's missing an even bigger picture, or maybe he's not missing it, just didn't have time to put it in here. There is a lot more at stake. It's not just these few things to touch on, although I understand you can only touch on a few. There is, this is massive, okay? In autumn of 2021, the UN is set to host 
So this is an old article, by the way. So it already happened. The World Summit on Food Systems, FSS, in Rome. This is necessary given that 3.9 billion people, more than half the world's population, are currently battling hunger and malnutrition, even though there is enough food to feed the world. But this year's summit differs significantly from past UN food summits, embracing, embracing multi-stakeholder inclusivity, which in which the private sector has an important role. A concept note from 2019 showed that the WEF was set to be involved in organizing the summit, though it is not now clear what that role will be, what the WEF role will be. Quote, abandoning pesticides is not on the table. How come, asks Sophia Monsov of FIAN International, a human rights organization focused on food and nutrition. There is no discussion on land concentration or holding companies accountable for their environmental and labor abuses. This fits into the bigger picture Mansov sees of large corporations, which dominate the food sector, being reluctant to fix the production system. She says they just want to come up with new investment opportunities. Well, that's right. And they're repackaging them. Um, I want to stick, uh, skip ahead here to uh, big tech governing big tech. All right, because that's what we have here. All right. You have the government, our government involved in this, but the surveillance state, um, the emerging augmented reality, that we're going to be living in, the digital reservation, the smart cities that are going to, based on privilege level, restrict your movement, restrict what you can do. Um, you're going to have to have merit tokens and all kinds of things. Uh, that's going to, coming from these guys here, and they are accountable to no one. You might hear a lot of talk here, you know, ceremonial talk in Congress, you know, whatever, but at the end of the day, these agendas move forward in our in educational institutions um, at places like MIT and other, um, you know, really, uh, and other technical schools. Uh, Arizona State University has a big program as far as gamification goes. So anyway, another landmark in the development of stakeholder capitalism can be found in the big tech sector as part of his 2020 roadmap for digital cooperation. Um, so I open that up and I'll, I, I included this in my post, but I will also make sure um, to put a link in the thing, in the notes. Uh, Roadmap for digital cooperation, the UN Secretary General called for the formation of a new strategic and empowered multi-stakeholder high-level body. Again, it's not easy to find a list of stakeholders, but after some digging, a long list of roundtable participants for the roadmap include, again, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and lo and behold, the WEF. And you can guess, you can surmise that if the WEF is on that list, so are the pharmaceutical companies, no doubt about it. But again, I should include this is included in my blog post. Um, it pretty much reflects this, but anyway, 
check it out if you want to. Um, although functions, although the functions laid out for this new body are quite vague, civil society organizations fear it will come down to big tech creating a global body to govern itself. Exactly. This risks institutionalizing these companies, resistance against effective regulation, both globally and nationally, and increasing their power over governments and multilateral organizations. So forget what the author's name is already. Hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's already happened. But you're on to it. It's just that uh, day late and dollar short. It's already happened, my friend. Already happened. Um, let's see where I'm going. Uh, if, the, if the body comes to function, it could be a decisive victory in the ongoing war, uh, on the ongoing war, G-A-F-A-M, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft is waging with governments over tax evasion, antitrust rules, and their ever-expanding power over society. Uh, now, make no mistake, I'm just going to say this. I don't care how, it, there's no war. Again, there's no war. There's the, there might be a perceived uh, back and forth, we're protecting the people, but there's no, there's no war. There's, there's no war. They're letting it happen. They're in on it. Um, you know, Ted Cruz, you know, uh, supposed to be a staunch conservative constitutionalist, attended a blockchain conference here in Texas not too long ago. And I think that says a lot because blockchain is uh, in the hands of the entities that it's in. People think it's a uh, a measure of um, like a silent revolution. It's it's not. It's a blockchain technology. It's going to be used for e-government. It's going to to control every aspect of our life. It is in fact the pathway to absolute and total slavery. Sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings. People tend to um, you know hoot and holler and scream and shout and throw epithets and names. Well, I you know. Fact is fact, truth is truth. Um, don't know what to tell you. It is what it is. So either go cry about it or join me in trying to do something. COVAX, then there's COVAX, he goes on. The COVAX initiative aims to quote, accelerate the development and manufacture of COVID-19 vaccines and to guarantee fair and equitable access for every country in the world. That, again, sounds wonderful, especially given the staggering inequalities in vaccination levels between the rich and developing countries. I would say um, that's the one blessing that poor countries and poor individuals have. They're not subjected to having to, um, to take this poison. And ask yourself why that is. Um, there's a graph that I'll try to find. I would write it down, but I'll get distracted. I'll try to remember all this. But Steve Day showed it on his show, and it came from Johns Hopkins. Let's see if I have a pen. Um, and basically, it was it was showing how there was a higher death rate in countries that were richer than poorer. So let's see, John Hopkins chart vaccine rich versus poor. Hopefully I can recognize that handwriting later and look up that chart, but that is really interesting and it's thought provoking in a scary way. Um, 
So he goes on to say, but why is the World Health Organization, which is part of the UN, not calling for the shots? Countries together through multilateral agencies like the WHO were supposed to take decisions about global health issues with maybe some technical support by others, says, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name. I'll, t- I'll try. Salakshana uh, uh, Nandi from the NGO People's Health Movement, which has recently brought out a um, policy brief, brief on COVAX. I will include that in the show notes as well. So COVAX was set up as a multi-stakeholder group by two other multi-stakeholder groups, the Vaccine Alliance and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations in partnership with the WHO. Both uh, GAVI and uh, CEPI have strong ties with the World Economic Forum. Boom which was one of the founders of CEPI, boom, as well as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, bam. And both are also connected to companies like Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, AstraZeneca, which I'm much less concerned about in Johnson & Johnson, through manufacturer partnerships, manufacturer partnerships, or as, quote, supporters. Even though COVAX is funded predominantly by governments. So you see how this is all connecting here? Um, It is these corporate-centered coalitions that are overseeing its rollout, okay? And the same is true that a lot of these partnerships are overseeing the rollouts of reopenings of different states and experimenting with that. And so what, you know, what past, you know, past systems they'll have in place and all that. Very scary stuff. Um, And it's happening right now uh, it's much further advanced than he is writing about it but he is hitting the nail on the head with a lot of different points again there is a stark choice between a human rights-led approach carried out by the un and a profit-led approach carried out by multi-stakeholder bodies representing the interest of corporations in the case of covax which is failing to meet its modest aim of vaccinating 20 percent of populations Uh, 20% of the populations of low and middle income countries. The former has won out. Stakeholder capitalism, stake out stakeholder capitalism. So even if WEF or Bill Gates is not responsible for the COVID pandemic, they are, but even if they're not, I put they are, that's not the writer. uh, Even if the vaccines are not laced with microchips to control our thoughts, their gene therapy, not vaccines, but Again, that's me saying that, not him. He goes on to say, despite those things, all that notwithstanding, he says, something fishy is really going on here. It's really going on in the realm of global governance. Again, so global governance, you can guess where he stands uh, on the sovereignty of nations versus intra, um, intra-governance among corporate entities. Seems like he favors that, just not in in this form, I don't know. If you value your right to public health, to privacy, to access healthy food, or to democratic representation, be weary of the word stakeholder capitalism when they pop into the next day of the summit. I would say also, be extraordinarily weary of some catchwords here. We'll throw out just a couple for um, for the cheap seats. 
okay? Decentralization. It's Orwellian. Nothing is being decentralized. In fact, everything is centralizing at a, at a breathtaking pace. The more power centralizes, the faster it centralizes power. Okay, like a tumbleweed in the wind gaining momentum. There's no such thing as decentralization. I will happily take on people far smarter than I and win that argument. There is no such thing as DeFi, as decentralization, any of that, okay? The next keyword, disruptors. So we're disruptors. I think uh, one of these websites here, let's see what it is. Um, if I can share it real quick. Ah, let's share, let's share this real quick before we start to, to wrap up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was one of the things in my blog post that I put, one of the websites. Um, and this was a direct offshoot from that gentleman's article, Purpose Disruptors. So they say, we are a network of advertising insiders, insiders working together to reshape our industry to tackle climate change. And now if you peruse their website, which I will include a link in, there is no doubt that, um, that they're involved with the World Economic Forum. Okay, so good life in 2030. What if the future was worth looking forward to? Led by purpose disruptors and in collaboration with Insight Climate Collective. Race to zero, stories for life, and over 100 industry professionals. Good Life 2030 is a campaign for advertising uh, industry to create compelling visions of the future in 2030. Um, the, they go into the great reset here. So clearly they believe in that. Um, create and strike. I, I just I think that this is really, really interesting. And then if you look at the funding here, I want people to to look into prim primarily these two organizations, um, the European Climate Foundation and KR Foundation. The mission of KR Foundation is to address the root causes of climate change and environmental degradation. Um, in addition to funding, get involved jobs. Well, there's something else I wanted to include there, but, but this is all, I'll get back to unsharing my screen here as we wrap up. This is all connected. It's all an incestuous relationship. So again, just like I said, each, each crisis, each event may seem like a standalone event, right? As you watch it on the news, holy crap, this has happened. It's not. It's not a standalone event. It's absolutely connected. The same is true with these organizations. They are not standalone organizations, most of them. They are not. They're intimately connected. And all you have to do is, you know, for example, everything seems to come back to Pfizer in the World Economic Forum, almost everything. Um, but you know, you all you have to do is is Google these different organizations and how they're and they'll show it, it'll pop right up. You'll end up on a landing page and it, you know you'll see the connections there. But really, you scroll down to the bottom most of the time and you look at partners and funders. Um, partners and relationships is where a lot of the, the meat and potatoes will be. That's where you'll find a lot of good stuff. They make no effort to hide it from you. They make no effort to 
conceal it from us. Um, they, they just don't. So it all seems like a lot and really overwhelming. I have um, some, some of my very good friends here are working with, um, man. Um, for those of you who can't see, I'm sitting in an incredibly uncomfortable chair. They are really exploring the movement with, um, gosh, I forget the guy's name, uh, Corbett. Corbett, uh, the Corbett report. And uh, he was talking about, I don't know how integral he is in the leadership of it. And Derek um, Bros, who I really was disappointed in because I really wanted to believe in that guy, but he's um, not a good character. And I can prove that willing. I, I'm not happy about it. Believe me, I followed him since 2013. And I was like, this is a good person. This is someone I want to line up behind. So um, I say that with a heavy heart, that he is uh, disingenuous. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it there. He's disingenuous at, at the very least. But um, they're, they're looking heavily into the freedom cell movement. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's a community-based. It's about getting uh, linking up at the local level, basically. So I'm going to check that out. Um, as Albert Einstein says, you know, condemn, condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. So um, while I have done my homework on Derek, who is very involved in these freedom cells, done my homework on Derek, and um, he sold his soul at some point, and, and that, that happens. I always wonder, like, at what, what point do you get to where you're approached and you sell your soul? Like, what, when does that happen? But um, anyway um moving on real quick I, I i know it's a lot but there are things that we can do there are things that measures that we can take and um time is absolutely running out but one thing that i've learned from worrying about that is that i will oftentimes in the past i'll, I'll do nothing or i'll start and then i won't be consistent because you know, I won't pick up followers because I'm not very savvy with this stuff or, I, you know, I'm like, what's the point? It's all got coming too quick. And then, you know, two years will pass and I'll be like, well, what could I have been doing with those two years? So even if uh, the end or, you know, they're about to drop the hammer and that's like in the next 45 minutes, keep going for that 45 minutes. Chances are we have much longer than that. Um, who knows what we can accomplish? I may remain optimistic. I really do. It doesn't seem that way by my facial expression. If you can look at me, I think, but that's only because I worked all night and I'm tired. Um, I want to end with a quick parable. And if, um, you know, you're offended by it, um, I don't give a shit. Um, so, <laughs> so I wanted to end with a little story time but uh we're running out of time and i'm running out of brain power um i had a really good one but i'll tell a little kind of what do they call them parables when my when i was a kid i was really i was a troubled youth and i was really um i was a very troubled youth uh, i had a lot of issues after my vaccination injury uh which happened when i was a little boy um, I was put in treatment centers, one of which where I was um, 
wildly abused. I'm only this past year able to even say it out loud. Can't say the details out loud yet. I can get to the point where I can write stories about them, uh, but not even the de full details. But um, so that was very jarring. And I, by the time I got to my adolescence, I was quite a handful behaviorally and um, and down and out. And I, I don't know what led us to this moment. My father and I, who are best friends now, we had many a blowout, which was really actually him teaching me and me being obtuse and defiant. But in a in moment that really mattered, I was probably complaining about, I, I know I was complaining about my life, about, about, you know, all the shit that I had been through about, you know, why me, you know, playing the victim card, poor me, poor this, poor that. Yes, what happened was terrible, but there are people who have it worse. And even so you get nowhere. It's okay to acknowledge that something traumatic has happened to you, but you get nowhere by being like making excuses and being like, well, I'm going to allow the fact that I was abused severely um, stop me from doing things. You can't make excuses. It was late at night and my father and I were sitting outside at the house in Northbrook, Connecticut. I think about that house all the time in my dreams. And he said, um, there once was a man and he's carrying a cross, he was bearing a cross, metaphorical cross, of course, a cross. We all bear, you know, from that saying, you know, we all bear our own cross, we all have our cross to bear. And he goes to God. How he gets there, I don't remember that part of the story. He ain't dead, but somehow he manages to sneak into God's workshop. In this parable, God has some kind of workshop that he's in there. I don't know if it's like, you know, wood shop or whatever, but either way, God's God's in there and God's kind of playing around and putting around doing things uh, in between uh, being occupied with his acts of God, I suppose. I don't know. So a guy shows up and he, and he says, uh, my, my, my almighty God, I can't, you see this cross here. It's so heavy. It's so burdensome. I'm so tired. It's, literally impossible to carry as you can see i've left a trench behind me because it's so heavy that with each step forward i sink into the earth i can't bear it anymore what can you do for me can you give me another shot and so God unveils a wall full of different lives, their crosses to bear, and it would be a different life. And the man says, so I can pick one? God nods his approval. So the man looks at one. Perfect. It's doctor with a, a wonderful wife and a couple great kids um it's just one problem this doctor happens to be 
paraplegic. Walk, he mostly does research. So he makes good money. He has a wonderful wife, but he can't ever get up and play with his kids. So the guy says, no, I'll pass on that one. And then he looks at another one. And I don't know, the other one's a, a high-powered lawyer. He's hot shit in both ways. Great-looking guy, attracts all, all the women. Everybody wants to get with him or be with him. And, you know, he, like I said, he's loaded. He's got profile. But secretly, what people don't know is that he's incredibly depressed and lonely and feels like his life means nothing because he has nobody in his life. Not really. Guy says, I'll pass on that one. After much more deliberation and hemming and hawing and going back and forth, the man identifies a cross and he huffs and puffs and says, it's not perfect, but this looks like the best cross. Can I take this one? To which God signals his approval. The man thanks God, praises God on his knees and then rises with his new cross and heads for, I don't know, the door, the gate, whatever. And God calls out to him in language he can understand. Calls out for him to turn around, to stop in his tracks and to turn around. And says to him, again in words he can understand, just one thing you should know. That cross the one you're carrying now. That's the cross you came in with. We all have the capacity in us to do something to address the calamity that we face. If we don't, we're going to lose everything it means to be human. Anyway, please like share, subscribe, donate. I hope to, if you're open to uh, come on and debate me or talk to me on issues, I hope to have regular people as guests. Please do that. I welcome it. That's kind of what I want. Um, and I will include links in the show notes. And until Thursday, everyone stay safe and stay blessed. Thank you.